This podcast is proudly sponsored by the Stillbirth Foundation Australia and Community Care Kitchen. The content shared in this podcast represents the views of the Still Nest and our guests and may not specifically reflect the views of these organisations. Please seek professional medical advice for any clinical circumstances that may arise. Welcome to the Stillness Podcast, a place of solace for bereaved parents and their communities. I'm Dr. Fatima El Assad, a researcher and a bereaved parent. Losing a child can make you question everything your identity, your faith, and your place in the world. On this show, we will explore the complexities of child loss particularly within culturally and linguistically diverse communities. I'd like to hold space for bereaved parents to be seen, heard and understood. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Peace and God's mercy and blessings be upon you. As with all our episodes, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the Eora Nation and their ongoing custodianship. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge that this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. In today's episode, we will be exploring early pregnancy loss. If you're triggered by our conversation, I have linked resources in the show notes for you. We are discussing difficult experiences often unheard, so please take the time to check in with yourself and get the help you need. Today I'm joined by an inspiring woman. When I shared an article earlier this year about the complexities that bereaved, culturally and linguistically diverse families have to endure, I didn't expect the deluge of messages into my inbox. One of these messages was by our guest today. Unbeknownst to me, she also carried a baby in her heart. I'm grateful that she has been so courageous to share with us today. Welcome to the Still Nest, Sarah. Could you kindly introduce yourself? Of course. So my name is Sarah Mansour. I am a lawyer. I'm the co-founder and director of the Bankstown Poetry Slam, which is Australia's largest regular poetry slam. I am also the founder and director of Muslim Agenda, which is an Australian Muslim women's festival, the first of its kind that happened this year in 2022. Um, I sit on a few boards. So I sit on the board of Monkey Bar, as well as Sweatshop and the Crescent Institute. And I'm also now a mother. So many hijabs. (laughs) I love that way of explaining the many hijabs that you wear. Could you tell us a little bit about your ethnicity and um, where you grew up? Yeah, for sure. Uh, So my background is Lebanese. My parents were both born and raised in Lebanon and then migrated to Australia, escaping the civil war in Lebanon. And I grew up in Punchbowl which is a suburb in Sydney Southwest and um, attended school in that area and um, also studied 
at university in Western Sydney. Sarah, we both share early pregnancy loss experience. I know we're sort of jumping straight into it, but do you kindly share your story with us today? Yeah, of course. So um, I've been married for almost five years now. And at the time that um, Ali and I had been married for two and a half years, uh, I fell pregnant and it was not a planned pregnancy, but nonetheless, uh, it wasn't, I guess, protected sex either. So definitely like the um, possibility of falling pregnant was there. And um, I did fall pregnant and I was really, really excited and nervous by the prospect of becoming a mother. And I think that, you know, the first time that you fall pregnant, you're acutely aware that a loss can happen, but you don't think that that will happen to you. So I went and had the first scan and everything seemed to be okay at the time. Um, also had a blood test to confirm that I was pregnant. And then the second time I went in for a scan, um, which was I think about around the eight-week mark, um, I was told that they couldn't detect a heartbeat. And then I miscarried a few days after that. That's so sad to hear, Sarah, that, you know, around eight weeks is when you had to hear those dreaded words, that there is no heartbeat. Could you kindly walk us through what was racing through your head at the time? Sure. So I was definitely surprised and I had like a very sinking feeling that something was wrong um, and I was just trying to remain hopeful and positive. But there was something that was telling me that, you know, something wasn't right. And I just started obviously Googling like a maniac, trying to figure out, you know, when this happens, how often like radiographers are wrong and um, who it's happened to and what the outcome has been and that kind of thing. So you just kind of try and take comfort in um, other people's stories and I just did that online because I hadn't actually told anyone that I was pregnant um, so no one in my family knew only my husband knew basically and one friend actually I had told that I was pregnant so um, and then what ended up happening was I started to have really bad cramps and that kind of progressed worse and worse and then um, yeah, I thought that I should take a hot shower to relieve the pain because I wasn't sure what's normal. I had never been pregnant before, so I wasn't sure if cramps were normal or not and that level of pain was normal. And um, that's when I started to miscarry in the shower. Sarah, you described such an intense time, you know, those few days when you are miscarrying. And what I find so really almost sad is that nobody knew at such a critical time when you probably needed so much support. Why did you keep it a secret? 
Why did you limit it to just your husband and one of your friends? Um, I think I was really excited to be pregnant and I wanted to surprise my mum especially because she was kind of always asking me, when are you going to fall pregnant? When am I going to become a grandma? So I had ordered a special onesie <coughs> to like kind of be part of the baby announcement that said, I have the best data in Jiddu. So it was a custom onesie. So I have the best grandma and grandpa. And that's how I was going to announce it to my in-laws and my parents. And um, I actually received that the morning after I miscarried in the mail. And I remember thinking like, come on, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, it was it was really tough. And I, so I took one day off work. That was in March 2020 when COVID hit and the lockdown happened. So I basically just went back to work the day after and started to throw myself into work. Um, it just became a really busy period and, you know, lots was happening and um, everyone, like the whole world was in upheaval and it felt like my personal world was in upheaval too in many ways. So I, I think I didn't want to tell like anyone in my family, especially because I didn't want them to know that I was trying because I still wanted it to be a surprise. Um, so I did end up opening up to some friends and they tried to be supportive in the way that they knew how. Um, but I think that sometimes, you know, they the remarks were a bit misguided, like, oh, at least you know that you can fall pregnant or at least it was early on, um, you know, trying to kind of give me a level of comfort. And I thought that those words would be comforting. And I remember saying to one of my friends, like, you know, just because it's early on, it doesn't make it any easier. Like, you know, even if someone's old and they pass away, yeah. it's still hurtful and you still yes. grieve that loss. And I was trying to explain it in that way. So, yeah. Sarah, you've raised so many issues that I'd love to unpack. The first being what not to say mm. to somebody that has actually gone through that. What could have been helpful to hear at a time like that? Honestly, I think just like I'm so sorry. That's it. You know, and and just to, yeah, and just to talk, like just to have someone listen to what happened and how it happened because most of the time when I told people they didn't actually ask any questions they were just like oh so sorry to hear and then you know that was and then basically if they weren't trying to console me in the ways that they knew how it was just kind of more like shock and you know before I had had a miscarriage I definitely wouldn't have known what to say either but since it's happened to me um, because I've been so open about it with my friends. A few people have opened up to me and told me that they've since had miscarriages. And I think, I guess the thing that I say to them is I'm so sorry. And you know, you're so strong. And I pray that this will become a lighter burden for you over time. And I'm here for you. If you want to talk at any time or if you need anything, you know, sending flowers or um, a care package, those small things I think make a really big difference. Do you think that people are paralysed 
with not knowing what to say because of this mythical stigma around baby loss in our community. What are your thoughts on that one? Well, I think so. And it's really ironic, isn't it? Because especially in our faith, we're very much grounded in the transience of this world and grounded in the idea of death. And there isn't really, I guess, that sense of existentialism in our community because we think about death probably every day. Um, But I think perhaps because there is a stigma around it, women don't really open up. And I hadn't heard of anyone having a miscarriage before I started telling people that I had had a miscarriage um, other than my own mum. I had the same experience. Yeah. And, you know, I think that the probably stigma stems from this idea that we're made to do one thing, which is to procreate and to give life. And so when your body fails you in that regard, then it's kind of seen as something shameful when obviously it isn't. And, you know, if you kind of like go into the science of it, obviously your body miscarries for a reason, but there's a wisdom behind it that you can't really understand at the time. That kind of also gave me a bit of comfort once I looked into that further. So your faith helped you sort of accept the experience for what it was and helped you perhaps maybe move through the motions of that shock and that utter devastating grief, especially when your body is actually (laughs) enduring a lot of pain with the cramping and the bleeding and and all of that. And then Mm -hmm. you're hit with all the social awkwardness and sometimes hurtful comments that are not landing right. Um, It seems so unfair (laughs) to have to deal with all of that at a time where you probably need a lot of understanding and comfort. You know, our faith gives us those answers. It actually tells you that like death is part of it, but we are allowed to grieve and we are allowed to cry and we're allowed to acknowledge that grief and own it. Um, And you were a mother at that point. Being pregnant meant that you were a mother. Totally. Yeah, I mean, and it's crazy. Like as soon as you find out that you're pregnant and you can probably speak to this as well, you already start thinking about how your child will be, what you're going to name them, what school you're going to put them in. Like your mind just takes you to all of the faraway places and you start planning from and thinking and dreaming from before you even meet your child. So, yeah, definitely. I remember that was a big part of it was um, so I had a dream about this baby that I miscarried and so when and in that dream sorry the the baby was like smiling and laughing so after I had had the miscarriage I kept thinking of that image and I think it was a bit haunting because I don't normally recall my dreams and I don't normally have vivid dreams but that was a very vivid dream for me and so it was yeah kind of hard to come to terms with that loss because 
in my mind and my heart, that baby was so real. And, um, you know, you already start loving it from its conception. I asked Sarah if she could share her experience of her second pregnancy. Once I fell pregnant again, so this time it was a planned pregnancy as opposed to the first time, and I was wanting to make sure that I had come to terms with the grief and the loss and I was ready to have another loss if that happened because the chances are the same, as you would know. So that took about six or seven months before we started trying again. And um, when I fell pregnant, there was definitely none of the joy or the excitement that I had had the first time around. And I was kind of waiting for that feeling again. And it didn't come. And as the pregnancy progressed and got more real, my anxiety worsened. And it manifested in death anxiety. So I was thinking about death all the time. And when I say all the time, I mean genuinely 24-7. From the moment I woke up to pray the Fajr morning prayer, the absolute second I woke up to the moment that I fell asleep. And, and sometimes I would just want to sleep so I could stop thinking about death because it was so exhausting and it caused me to break down at work. I couldn't focus and I was I was actually in a very anxious state. I thought I was going crazy and I thought that I would never ever be happy again. And I had no chance to connect with my baby during that pregnancy and I really um kept thinking that I would have a stillbirth or something bad would happen. It was a very daunting experience, to be honest, and I'm very scared that if I fall pregnant again, that I'll experience that level of anxiety again. Um, what did help me through it was I spoke to my sister, who is a clinical psychologist. She just kind of talked me through what, what was happening in terms of what anxiety does to the body and how it switches off a part of the brain that deals with rational thinking and how essentially my body was in a fight or flight mode. And that's why I was getting all of these irrational thoughts. And um, she also kind of was talking to me from the perspective of our inner fitra, which I'm not sure how to give a direct translation for that but you know it's kind of like our conscience or our inner guiding light how that influences the way that we move through the world and how we see the world and how that's important to lean on that and lean on my faith and just have faith that you know everything will be okay so that was really important and that gave me some relief but to be honest um the only real time that I felt like completely at ease um, was when my daughter was born. That's a, that's a long time for somebody to be carrying and having to cope with all of that anxiety. must have been debilitating and it impacted your work, impacted your relationships. 
Yeah, and I remember speaking to so many women, everyone basically that I knew that was a mother, I messaged them and said, did you go through this anxiety? Did you feel this? Um, Can you help me? And I probably spoke to like 20 women and some of them hadn't experienced any anxiety and some had and some talked me through what they did to kind of cope and, you know, just explain that like my hormones are raging and so much is happening to my body and I've dealt with a loss. So there's a lot going on. I remember like, holding Alia in my arms after she was born and the doctor said the words, she's perfect. And I burst out into tears because I really didn't think, yeah, I mean, she's per- she is perfect, but I really didn't think that I would give birth to a healthy baby. Like it was just that anxiety was so debilitating. So yeah, I am kind of like worried to fall pregnant again. Yeah. Pregnancy after a loss is is quite different and we don't often hear about how complex it is. Sarah, I want to maybe just step a little bit back to the fact that you actually went to work a day after you miscarried. Up until last year, there was no real recognition for families or women who had lost a baby earlier than 20 weeks even though they make up the majority of pregnancy losses. So now, and I am very grateful for this, but we're entitled to two days bereavement leave, obviously in an uncomplicated early pregnancy loss. Do you think, thinking back to the fact that you went back after one day, that having two days of bereavement leave would have been helpful? Or do you think, in retrospect, we probably need a lot more? Hmm. I mean, I don't think that two days is sufficient and I could have easily taken two days of sick leave. But the thing is, I didn't at the time want the partner at the firm um, to know that I was trying because um, I was worried that it could impact pay reviews or that it could impact just like work opportunities and that's why I just felt like I didn't really want to share that and also you know he's a man so I didn't really kind of want to talk through that yeah it was it was a bit of a sticky situation to be in and it's a very private thing and people like like we discussed earlier don't really know what to say so I didn't really want to be so vulnerable and talk about such a sensitive topic to someone who, you know, we were strictly on professional slash business terms. Yeah, in the fear that it almost jeopardise your promotion and jeopardise your career trajectory, right? Just sharing that, hey, I've had a miscarriage with your boss could carry an extra weight and it's so important that you've highlighted that because yes there's a bit of an option to take that leave but then you have to disclose that you know you've had a loss and unfortunately and I would love to see a day where this isn't the case in all fields but you do come from a a law background and unfortunately those 
prejudices still exist, don't they? And for us women to go back to work after a miscarriage and then say that we've had a miscarriage, is he going to think differently of you when you are at the table discussing your next pay rise? And I completely agree with you that I'm not quite comfortable yet in saying that that prejudice doesn't exist. Having gone through an early pregnancy loss and then having made your way through a very complex pregnancy and and healthy, perfect baby after loss, what do you think it would take to actually help support mothers and their families work through their grief and have their early pregnancy losses validated by those around them? I think that for our community especially, there just needs to be greater support systems in place and just greater advocacy about that support as well. For example, I mean, at the time, I obviously had to go to the doctors to confirm that I had miscarried and I wasn't referred to any support services. I, you know, wasn't followed up with at all. It was just kind of like, yeah, you're not pregnant anymore. See you later. Wow. Yeah. And it was very transactional, you know, and I didn't know that the uh, organizations like the Pink Elephant, um, there's a few others which escape me now, but like they exist to support women through these really tumultuous experiences and I didn't know about them at all. So I think that you know, if there was something that was developed, a resource or an organization that was specifically targeted towards cowed communities and that was perhaps faith-centered or centered in community and was alive to the cultural nuances that we kind of navigate, I think that would have been extremely helpful. Even just the fact sheet, like what to say and what not to say to a friend <laughs> like how great would that be to google and and find out about and to learn from yeah so i think i was really lucky in the fact that my husband was really really supportive and you know we kind of worked through our grief together but something i probably didn't acknowledge at the time was the impact that it had on him and I was really just focused on myself and I didn't even think or turn my mind to the fact that he was also grieving um, because he was spending so much time trying to support me. So, you know, even men need that support because they feel that pain as well on a very visceral level. Sarah, I really, really appreciate that you've spent some time with us today just to share your story and You've been so generous in describing some of the most excruciatingly intimate and painful sort of events that you've had to actually work through. And I just wanted to say thank you for, for being on our show today and, yeah, from my heart. Thank you so much for having me and for listening.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Stillness Podcast. Some of the topics raised in this show can be difficult. If it has left you with any questions, please message me on Instagram at thestillnest.au. Please subscribe, share, rate and review this podcast. It means so much to be able to share these stories. This podcast is produced, edited and recorded by Corey Green of Transducer Audio. And now I'll leave you with a little prayer. Inna lillah wa inna ilayhi raji'oon. Allahumma ajurni fi musibati wa li khayran minha. We belong to Allah and to him we shall return. O oh Allah, recompense me for my affliction and give me something better. Take care.